This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Many people with disabilities struggle with food insecurity. The barriers faced by the disabled community range from challenges to acquiring affordable and high-quality food to food preparation and storage. The barriers faced by disabled people intersect with other forms of marginalization, such as race, ethnicity, and gender identity. These challenges to food security, although prevalent within the disability community, rarely get talked about in broader discussions about food security and access. Having access to nutritious and adequate food is fundamental to health and well-being. But it goes beyond that. Food is at the heart of who we are as people. Food is meshed with culture, history, family, and tradition. Today, we discuss disability and food security. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello, and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juita Gupta, and I'm the host of the program. Today, we're talking, as we have on several occasions in the past, about food security for people with disabilities. You might remember my conversations with Naomi Schwartz that aired in the fall, or my conversation with the fine folks from Elixir Kitchen, which aired last spring. So it's a theme that we like to return to over and over again, because we know that food security is such a fundamentally important topic to people with disabilities. But we have a unique take on the issue of food security today. My guest today is photographer and owner of Polaris Creation, as well as outspoken disability advocate, Jules Sherritt. Jules has kicked off a crowdfunding initiative, as well as a call for participants, all this is launching March 1st, to help the initial stages of the Covichan Valley Disability, Culture and Food Through Art exhibit. This is a unique photography and video exhibit that will help raise awareness to the barriers disabled people faced in accessing food and promote advocacy from local producers. Jules joins us from British Columbia. Hello and welcome. It's so good to have you on the program. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So like I said, we have um, in the past talked about food security quite a bit on this program, but you've got a unique exhibit that is talking about food security uh, in terms of a video and photography exhibit. In a few words, tell us about what you hope to accomplish with this exhibit. Um, I hope that people have a broader understanding and appreciation of this most fundamental um, barrier towards accessing, like the, the very first thing we do after we're, we're born is they they put a baby to breast and the baby eats. And if you're disabled, that very fundamental, very first thing we do in life is severely cur- curtailed. And I'm really not sure people, like we talk about food insecurity and food deserts and um, all these other things in broader sense, but I'm not sure people are aware of how prevalent it is in society, even in food baskets. I put that in air quotes, like the Couch Valley, where we have lots of food producers, um, but we also have a very high portion of disabled people here. We have a great cultural and um, ethnic mix of people.
people. And so it's like, yeah, I'm not really quite sure. Like people think, oh, we have all this really, really cheap local produce that people can just walk to the farmer's market and acquire, and that is not the reality. There's still so many barriers, even in rich rich area food areas like ours when it comes to accessing food and how when someone comes from a non-western european background that is greatly enhanced because a lot of our foods outside of western european um can take up to five hours just to make one dish Mm-hmm. And there's like this whole, there's like this whole, like I think I'm I'm from Polish and Ukrainian background, and like just making pierogi is like a group of people in a kitchen doing an assembly line, and it's hours and hours. And there's such a great culture. What happens to those to those families, to those groups of women who are who are working together to feed their communities? What happens when when disability prevents them from from being able to spend the five hours it takes to prepare those meals? My pierogies are frozen and they come out of the uh, out of the freezer. So I commend your effort. <laughs> um, you you talked about some of these barriers faced by people with disabilities, especially in areas which are otherwise rich in food. So it's not like you know northern yeah. northern parts of Canada where there is for everybody a bit of a shortage and uh, yeah. prices are expensive for everybody. Why are people with disabilities disadvantaged in this situation in the way that you've outlined for us? Um, I can give one concrete example that I'm hoping to shed a light of and kind of act as a call to action in my exhibit. We have a farm here in in the valley. Um, so you have to kind of understand the valley. We have a we have a core of population where even in the, the core of like Duncan and North Couchin, like in my home mobile cell reception is very, very spotty. If you drive two minutes in any, any direction, you lose cell service. Wow. Um, so, so like, it's very, like, we have to have, like, landlines are a necessity to life where I live. <laughs> Otherwise, you can't mm-hmm. talk to people. Um, so what we have, and so we, and we have a lot of farmland, and it's vast, and it's sprawling. And so we have this one farm that does um, fresh produce baskets, fresh from their farm, and it's seasonal, and it's delicious. Their food is, like, it's great. It's great right out of the ground root vegetables in the, in the fall and the winter and other things. And, yeah, you get the picture, mm-hmm. I'm hoping. So mm-hmm. $20 a week, they will give you a basket of fresh produce. Mm-hmm. $20 a week is cheap. It's within the budget that people can afford. It's more food than someone, like it's more food than someone may be able to eat, like for, mm-hmm. for produce in that week. The problem is how do disabled people get out to a farm that has no transit service to pick up that food because a condition of this $20 a week fresh produce basket is that you go out to the farm on a Sunday morning to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we do that? <laughs> right? Like exactly. We... Not everyone not everyone has yeah. a car and not everyone can drive. I mean, I'm legally yeah. blind. I can't get behind the wheel of a car. So there's all of these other challenges that come up. Tell me a little bit about your exhibit. Um, I am intrigued because a lot of the conversation that I've had with people about food security has been with policy experts. They've written papers. They've written uh, policy papers to the government. You're doing something different here with with an exhibit. Tell us a little bit about what the end goal of the exhibit is going to be. 
So I'm all a firm believer in our uh, in own voices stories. Um, I know from my own experience working on political campaigns and stuff that people connect better with personal stories um, than they do with research papers and government this and that. So I want to use my platform to showcase the stories of other people. Like I want to elevate their voices. I don't want to tell their stories for them. Mm-hmm. I want to give them the ability to share their stories, to allow people to connect with it. Like you're sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee, and you're learning about something that you have never, ever, ever thought about before because of your own privilege. And you're like, wow, how have I not known about this? I want to be part of a solution that I can that I can affect in my community immediately, and it doesn't have to wait for a five hundred thousand dollar grant from the government or two years of red tape to be able to work for. I could arrange to pick up food baskets at the local farm on Sundays for disabled people and deliver them to their houses, and they don't have to go through things like food banks or other things that kind of mm-hmm. um, are, are stigmatized. So yeah, I just I want I want to be able to elevate other people's voices and I want these stories to be accessible. <laughs> like there's no point in doing a, an exhibit about accessibility if people cannot actually um experience the stories if they cannot connect. So I have a whole bunch of plans including described video um for the video part of the exhibit. I have doing narrated versions of the print program so people can participate and actually have the print program if they don't have a screen reader, if they're visually impaired, and all these other things. So I'm just hoping, like, not only making these stories accessible, but just making art accessible to people with a variety of disabilities. I'm speaking to Jules Sherrod, disability advocate and the force behind a new and unique exhibit that looks at food security for people with disabilities. I know the exhibit is in early stages, yet it will um, come to fruition, hopefully in the summer. Mm-hmm. But give us a sense of what it is that you're expecting from the actual photos and videos. What kind of stories are you hoping to capture? Who would you want to speak to for this exhibit? How are you going to line up participants? So my participants, like the elevator pitch, is eight disabled Canadians, eight Canadians from culturally diverse backgrounds, and eight couch and valley food and beverage producers. Um, and it's being done in a bunch of phases. And the first phase is inter- is interviewing eight disabled Canadians, people who self-identify as disability. And this includes mental health barriers, visual impairments, um, auditory, like people from the deaf community, et cetera. And I want mm-hmm. to have them come into the studio physically distanced, all the health precautions taken and tell their stories. It's going to be done like in a photojournalistic style. I'm just going to ask them some questions about their background, what type of disabilities they have, um, what barriers they face when it comes to accessing food, if they acquired a disability, what do they miss about the before times without being ableist. Like I used to spend hours and hours and hours cooking, and I had to teach myself how to do my traditional foods in Mm -hmm. ways that didn't put me in bed for a week afterwards because it depleted all my spoons. So um, things like that. And as they're talking, then I will take pictures that kind of tell their story of 
like showcase their disability, but not in a way that is voyeuristic or, yeah, so photojournalistic, I think is the best way to describe it. And then I'm going to ask, like, for the disabled people, like, what is a food that you love, that's comfortable, that makes you your, your, your soul sing, that you can no longer access? And then I will take that dish and I will do what I do on my site, um, Disabled Kitchen and Garden, and I will make that food. I will, like, re-engineer it so that people with a variety of different disabilities can cook it and don't have to um, expend energy that they don't necessarily have or, or cook it in a way that they can access based on their disability and then take pictures of that food and tell like all my store, all my, I, all my um, food photography is editorial and lifestyle in nature. So there's mm -hmm. lots of elements about like prep methods and ingredients and in the, in the things, what makes that, what makes that um, food dish warm and inviting and comfortable, comforting that you just want to be wrapped up in all the time. Um, so, yeah, and the, so there will be, like, some photos of them and photos of the food and photos that kind of tell their story of disability and their relationships with food and their barriers accessing the food. And then the interviews will be taped, um, like, videoed as well. And so those videos will play alongside with the, with the visual pictures um, and the videos will be described and captioned and all that other stuff. And so people can listen to their story and look at the images and hopefully be moved into action. And then we'll repeat with the culturally diverse backgrounds, like the women at the Gudwara around the corner who spend days cooking for the community so they can, anyone can come in to the Gudwara on a Saturday and eat and what That's happens right. to those women when they become disabled and they can no longer mm -hmm. feed their communities? Like, that is such an important aspect of sick culture. What happens? Mm -hmm. I want to know. How can we, how can we support these women who, who no longer can do something that is so integral to their culture and to their identity? So, stuff like that. I'm Joita Gupta, and with me is Jules Sherrod, disability advocate and food photographer, as well as the force behind a new and unique exhibit that's looking at food security for people with disabilities. Your exhibit sounds so incredible that I regret okay. that I may not be able to come to BC in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> to see it in person. Do you have any plans to show it online in some way so people can be part of the experience virtually? Yes, that is because of not only because of COVID, but accessibility, like 90% of Canadians can easily access the internet now. And so that's where I'm expecting most people, their experiences will be in an online form. So I'm planning um, three mini exhibits throughout the year. Um, the, an example is the first exhibit will be in September of this year, and it will showcase one story, one full story, from one of the disabled um, participants, and then some like teaser sneak peeks at some of the other stories that will be showcased and, and, and shared via the larger exhibit. And then again, once I, um, or once I interview the food and beverage producers, and then again, after I introduce the culturally diverse Canadians, and then put it all together in one. 
for mm-hmm. the big one. And so there will be an interactive online exhibit that will show all the, the pictures as they would see it or experience it in the physical exhibit as well as the video. And the video will have different options because like not everyone needs to scrub video and caption. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there will be like different versions of the video for people to um, access depending on what their needs are for accessibility. And then all the images will be like described and captioned to, to hopefully, to the best of my ability, but I'm planning to hire people who know how to do this to make sure it's done properly and to make it as accessible as possible. Um, and hopefully I don't screw up too badly. And I'm also going to be um, developing an app so people can experience it the same way via an app on their, on their phone or their tablet or whatever. So I'm trying to make this as accessible as possible. And then like normally for art exhibits, you have to pay an entry fee. And what I'm doing is I'm doing a pay what you want with a suggested price of $20 because I don't want to, again, like charging fees disproportionately affects the people who this exhibit is supposed to benefit. So I'm hoping that there will be like people who are generous who will be like, I'm going to pay $100 to, to experience this. And hopefully that will enable five people who will have other barriers, financial or whatever, can experience this and not feel that they are taking away resources or whatever because that's another thing that happens among disabled people and, and low-income people in general is that um, we tend to give a lot more <laughs> than we receive proportionally compared to people who are in the higher income brackets. So, yeah, I'm trying to make this as equitable as possible while also being able to pay the, the people that I'm hiring to work on this exhibit and help make it possible. And I know you have a crowdfunding campaign associated with this, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But a few minutes ago, you mentioned, uh, and we should really cover it off this angle of the exhibit, mm-hmm. the need to talk to local food producers in yeah. the Cowichan Valley. Why is it so important to have the food producers at the table? Lately, locally in the news, we have a huge um, egg farmers are huge in the Cowichan Valley, lots of them. The problems that they're getting right now is um, there's a lot of eggs sold in stores that say that they're island produced, but they're not. (laughs) The Mm -hmm. eggs are coming from Winnipeg or whatever, but because the company is like registered and from the island, they're allowed to sell it as island produced. And now they have all these eggs that they are unable to get to markets that are going to waste because mm-hmm. of the big conglomerates. Um, so it's basically, and there's all these local programs that are supposed to help local farmers get their produce to market. Like we have an amazing farmer's market. We have, a, a, but the, the problem with government programs that are currently available is that they're slow and that you have to go through an approval process and that mm-hmm. you're having to go through, yeah, it, it just takes a while. The, the wheels of bureaucracy move pretty slowly. So what I'm hoping to accomplish is like there was a, someone emailed me the other day and when they saw that I wrote a post um, on my disabled kitchen and garden about what is more diso- 
facility friendly canning or freezing your food. They're like, mm-hmm. is there, do you, are you aware of anybody that offers canning services? It's kind of like a, a brew your own wine or beer where you bring in, you, <laughs> they can the food for you, you come in, you pick it up later for a fee. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. And I can, I immediately saw how I can make that happen <laughs> if I had a million mm-hmm. dollars and all the resources to kick it off. So, yeah, it's like hopefully like people will hear these stories that the local fart producers, like we have this food, we're rich, but we mm-hmm. still, even here with farmer's markets and with, with government programs, we are still have these our, our own challenges getting our food to the people who need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's going to waste as a result. So hopefully it will kind of act as a call to action for people to be like, hey, I could go and I could pick these up and I can deliver it here, here, and here, and here, and I can help make sure that that the food doesn't go to waste and that we're helping to solve the food, our own little um, food inequity issues that we have here in the Cowichan Valley. That sounds really important and work that could potentially also be replicated across Canada yeah. because these issues are not just restricted to one place yeah. in the country. Um, you mentioned your website a couple of times. Tell us a little bit about Disabled Kitchen and Garden. How did you get that started and uh, what are your plans for the website? Um, so Disabled Kitchen and Garden was, okay, this goes back again. So everybody got their Instapots, and it was famous and whatever. And it was a bunch of able people complaining. They just hated it so much. And just like they had this love-hate relationship with it. And it kind of took me a long time to get an Instapot. And then I saw somebody um, who is also disabled cooking with her Instapot and just how accessible. And she mentioned how, like, how she was able to do. She was also, um, her family came from the Punjab, um, came from Punjab and the province next to Punjab that I, the name is escaping me at the moment. And so just that whole background of cooking and and how, and then she just, mm-hmm. and discovered the Instapot, and suddenly she was able to make her culturally rich foods again. And that's, that's right. how the Instapot helped her over, like, helped her, was a tool, of accessibility tool. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Why didn't anybody tell me that the Instapot was, like, awesome if you're disabled <laughs> and for a variety of disabilities? So it's basically what I do is I take foods that are traditionally difficult to make and I um, engineer them and develop them for the Instapot in a way that they're delicious, nutritious, without like you want butter chicken in 10 minutes, I got you. You want to have um, Thai Masaman curry in five minutes, I got you. <laughs> like all these food, like, you want to have Dukabor Borscht in, that in, in, in an hour instead of five hours, I got you. Mm. A borscht uh, is an interesting one because beet is notoriously difficult to handle. So let me ask you a little bit about food preparation, because that could be one of the barriers faced by people with disabilities. How do you recommend people simplify the process or find workarounds so that the ability, the inability or the ability to hold a knife or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. julienne and slice don't become an issue for people who don't say have that ability? Yeah, so that's that's one of my barriers is I have very limited use of my hands. Um, and so, like, that was a huge, like, I just had surgery on one hand, and I have another surgery coming up on the other hand, and they still will not be fixed, but at least it'll be a little bit better. Um, so I, I even have a post about 11 essential things that you need in your kitchen if you're disabled that kind of help with that. So 
don't feel there's all these tools out there and things that come out all the time that people poo-poo as, oh, if you use this, you're lazy. And it's like, no, if you use this, you're awesome <laughs> because you can finally cook food again. So there's things like uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend a slap a slap chop because the slapping of it is actually going to cause repetitive strain injuries. So you kind of have to be careful there. But there are if you want to slice strawberries get an egg slicer egg slicer sliced mm-hmm. strawberries and it is just a, a you can even use the palm of your hand or the back of your hand or if you um, don't have a hand you can use the end of your wrist like there's all these I don't recommend a mandolin slicer because a mandolin slicer you still have to hold on to the um, vegetable and you still have to like do the motion and I can't grasp the thing that you shove into the vegetable to slice it. Mm -hmm. So what I do is my my lifesaver was I spent $50 on an immersion blender that had a food processor attachment to it. And that's how I chopped all my vegetables for years until I was able to afford a Cuisinart with a food processor attachment. Fifty, You can even find these used in thrift stores, but $50 is still a reasonably okay thing to be able to chop vegetables. Um, mm-hmm. For um, peeling, instead of using a traditional peeler, they're like the... They're like old apple core peeler things that also julienne, or not julienne, spiral the, the fruit as you do it. But who cares if your food is spiraled <laughs> if you're able to peel it and eat it afterwards? Like it's mm-hmm. all about the end result and not how it looks in these cases. So, yeah, there's, there's just things that are simplified, but it's like I had to learn all these things myself. And so now I share mm-hmm. my wisdom so other people don't have to to struggle to be like oh I can't do this anymore how am I supposed to do this and I'm like I got you <laughs> here this is what I do and Such hopefully a... it works for you and <laughs> here's how you could possibly adapt it so that it works for your specific form of disability. Well, such a creative process. Speaking of creative processes, just as we wrap up here, remind us again about how people might reach out to you if they want to participate in the exhibit and also let us know how people who are now inspired to contribute can reach out to you and contribute to the crowdfunding campaign. So the easiest way to do that is to go to disabilityandfood.art and there's all there's a video for the Kickstarter and the link underneath of it to give on Kickstarter. But as not everyone gives on Kickstarter, there's also a link um, in the menu that says Give, and that will allow the person to contribute via the website at the same levels as on the Kickstarter. And there's also another tab that says Participate that lets people more, and then they just email me, contact me via the website, and and arrange, and we just get it done. All right. Well, Jewel, thank you very much for being with us today. It was a, a lot of fun getting to talk to you, and I'm very excited to see how the exhibit turns out. Thanks for taking a bit of time to speak to us today. Thank you. That was Jewel Sherrod, who is a disability advocate, food photographer, and the creator of a new and upcoming exhibit, which looks at food security for people with disabilities. We'll put up a link to the Disabled Kitchen and Garden website on our blog if you'd like to go and contribute to the crowdfunding campaign or just pick up a few really awesome Instant Pot recipes. 
Thanks a lot for being with us on the program today. You can always catch my conversation with Jules and previous episodes of The Pulse as a podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. Head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'd like to thank Jules Sherrod for being my guest on the program. The technical producer for The Pulse is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.